You hear a knock on the door and open it to find two friendly representatives from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as the Mormon Church. So what will you say? Will you send them away without a Christian witness? Or will you engage them in a meaningful and Christ-honoring conversation? If you desire the latter, may we suggest the book, Answering Mormon's Questions, by Mormonism Research Ministries' Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson. Answering Mormon's Questions is available wherever you find quality Christian books. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, we hope you enjoy this repeat broadcast. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. There have been a lot of books written on the subject of Mormonism. Many of them are written by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with the hope of perhaps clarifying what Mormons exactly believe as opposed to the stereotype many people may have towards the Mormon people and their belief system. A book that we want to discuss this week was written by a man by the name of Gary C. Lawrence, a Mormon pollster, and the book's title is Mormons Believe dot 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 what fact and fiction about a rising religion. Now, Eric, when you first got a copy of this, you called me up and you just couldn't believe some of the things that you were reading because what we find in this book, even though it's meant to clarify a lot of positions, Mr. Lawrence seems to have a, an idea of Mormonism himself, even as a member that we would say does not seem to coincide with some of the things that Mormon leaders have taught. And I think this is a problem that a lot of us outside the Mormon church face when we're talking with our Mormon friends. You bring something up that you've read about Mormonism and say, well, where did you get that? And if it came from a site that is not supported by the LDS church, then obviously what you're learning has to be tainted. This is what we would call the genetic fallacy. If you're not a Mormon, you're really not equipped to speak on the subject of Mormonism. And of course, we would disagree with that premise entirely. But what were some of the things about this book that caused you to conclude that perhaps even Gary Lawrence is setting up a few straw men himself? Well, what's interesting about this book, I don't normally read books written by non-general authorities. I went ahead and bought this at a Deseret thrift store, so it was $2. But the book was published in 2011. And while Gary C. Lawrence is just a layman, he basically has worked all his life as a pollster. He was a bishop at one time. I don't think he is one now. But that's a pretty current book. And I just wanted to see what he was going to say about the false stereotypes. As I read through this book and chapter by chapter, and that's when I called you and said, I think he's confusing the issue rather than clarifying things, and he's making it more difficult because what he's saying isn't actually true, whether what he was saying about biblical Christianity or what he was even saying about Mormonism. So I would see the average reader of this book walking away with more stereotypes than maybe they walked into with. And this is why I think it's important that we critically analyze Mormon belief and not always assume that the Mormon, just because he's a member, has a correct perception of even his own faith. Because you and I have found many times when talking with Latter-day Saints 
that they are just as susceptible to stereotypes about what they believe as anybody would be. And so this can be dangerous. And as you say, I, I think what he does here in this book Rather than clarify a lot of issues and set people at ease, he, I think, bolsters why so many people have suspicion about the Mormon church. And he uses a term, anti-Mormon rhetoric. When he uses that term, basically anything that disagrees with his view of what Mormonism is, is going to be wrong. He gives this quote on page 197. He says, one person in five has attended a meeting in which a preacher or minister who was not a Mormon talked about the LDS religion, and about half of them felt the lecture contained at least some inaccuracies, the funhouse mirror as it were. Even though it would be nice if such presentations were more accurate, I hope they continue to argue against us, counterintuitive as it may sound. The more they challenge our claims and our reasoning, the more people will wonder about our side of the story. And many will check out the facts. There is so much just in that paragraph that we could discuss. But first of all, does he say in the book who these persons are? That way he says one person in five has attended a meeting in which a preacher or minister who was not a Mormon talked about the LDS religion and about half of them felt the lecture contained at least some inaccuracies. Who are these people that he's talking about? Now, he doesn't give very many endnotes in this book. For a book of 200 pages, it's about 100 total. And he does not give any background as to where he took this poll, if it was an official poll or not. And who those people were, were they Mormons? He doesn't say. But I'm, I'm thinking he's probably talking about Mormons, wouldn't you think? I would think he would, but he doesn't say that. No. And I think that's what makes this misleading. One person in five? Okay, you're going to say 20% of the people who have ever heard a Christian pastor or minister talk about Mormonism walked away feeling that there were inaccuracies in what he was saying? I mean, this is why I, I'm suspicious about this paragraph. You and I, when we speak at churches, 99% of what we present are quotations from Mormon leaders, from conference messages, from books that general authorities have written, from the vetted manuals. And we have had Mormons attend our meetings and afterwards say, well, we weren't right everywhere. But when we ask, well, where were we wrong? Normally, they can never pinpoint a specific thing that triggered them to say that. Or they just give us a blanket, well, it was out of context. So we ask politely, well, what is the context for what you think we took out of context? They can't give us an explanation. I've had uh, Latter-day Saints tell me, well, I think maybe a lot of what you're saying is true, but the way you're saying it doesn't make it feel like what you're saying is true. And at the same time, we've had Mormons who have attended who have praised us for how we've said it. So who are we supposed to believe? I think it gets down to the fact that there are some people within the Mormon church that are just much more sensitive about anything that might question their presuppositions than others. I understand that. I get that. That's human nature. Some people are much more sensitive and probably will draw the conclusion that because what they said is something that I don't want to agree with, that they must have gotten it wrong when that might not have been the case at all. Much of what he talks about in this book centers around the different polls that he would give. And in the introduction of this book, he talks about the perception of the focus group interviews that he did with those who didn't know his religious background, because he does a lot of polls that involve religion. And so this is what he wrote on page 10 in the preface. He says, I heard many skewed perceptions and misinformation about Mormons from the focus group. 
One, that we are not Christians, made me want to blurt out, quote, what part of our name don't you understand, end quote. See, that misunderstanding alone tells me we've got some problems with this book. Just because a church has the name of Christ in it certainly doesn't mean that that makes a Christian church or a church that falls in line with the New Testament understanding of who Jesus is, a New Testament understanding of how people get saved, or a New Testament understanding of the hereafter. Just because you have the name Jesus Christ in your church doesn't mean that at all. So he seems to even misunderstand the criteria that we as Christians would have for what makes a Christian church, and obviously what makes a Christian. So if he has a misunderstanding there, you can see why he would draw this kind of a conclusion and insist, no, we're Christians. But historically, what makes a Christian? Can Christians believe just about anything, even if it contradicts blatantly what the New Testament teaches and still be allowed to carry that name? Well, if you know anything about us, we're pretty picky about that, and we have a history of showing that we're pretty picky about that. Now, what he's referring to when he says, what part of our name don't you understand? The idea that the name of Jesus Christ is in the name, but I don't know if I could be funny or not on this, but I might say, well, I don't really understand Latter-day Saints. Why does your church even need to be in existence? and then get into the whole idea of the great apostasy. But this is a simplistic question that he's asking, and I don't think, as you're saying here, Bill, that he is able to give us a definitive answer. You have a review of this on our website at mrm.org. How would a person be able to search that? They can go to our website, mrm.org, go to the search engine and type in Mormons Believe What Review, and you will be able to find this. Now, in your review, you do cite from the book, and you make a statement that Mr. Lawrence poisons the well, at least in a cute way, when several paragraphs later, and this is after that paragraph that we just discussed, what part of our name don't you understand, where Mr. Lawrence says, then there's the publicity from ministers who preach anti-Mormon sermons, but hey, we were driven out of New York, Ohio, Missouri, and Illinois in the 1800s, and almost out of Utah, so we're used to it. What do you say about that? Well, this idea that anti-Mormon, you and I don't like that word because that is a derogatory word. And then he uses the persecution card to be able to make it sound like, well, we've been persecuted so much, obviously things go against us all the time. And so I'm going to try to set the record straight. And I don't have a problem if he really wants to set the record straight. But when he disseminates false information, that's where I disagree because we work really hard at MRM to put out the correct information. We're quoting from general conference talks. We're quoting from church manuals. We're quoting from the leaders of this church. And to make it sound like the pastor who gets up and gives an anti-Mormon sermon. By the way, Bill, we've gone to a lot of church services. When's the last time you heard a whole sermon against Mormonism at any church that you've attended? Uh, No, unless they're bringing someone like ourselves in to educate the body of Christ about the teachings and history of the Mormon church. I don't think a whole lot of ministers get up and do whole sermons on the topic of Mormonism. We're not going to be able to go through every chapter in this book. We just want to give you an overview. But in chapter 3, the title is Mormons Don't Believe in the Trinity. Well, isn't that true? Mormons don't believe in the Trinity. So is he going to try to dispel that rumor or is he going to agree with it? 
what he's going to try to do is show how the Trinity is not true. So when somebody does say Mormons don't believe in the Trinity, they're actually making a correct statement. And on page 15, he says, we reject a doctrine that we maintain is based on a fraudulent insertion into the Bible. So he's going to try to show how Christians have fraudulently put in some word trinity to be able to make it into doctrine that is true. And that's not what Christians use to be able to support the very important doctrine of the trinity. But on the very next page, he makes this interesting statement. He says, I don't know who it was, some say Tertullian, who was the first to use the Latin term trinitas about 200 A.D., But one of the pre-Nicene, this would be the Nicene Council, fathers, came up with the idea of providing a three-in-one God, three gods for the polytheistic and one God for the monotheistic. Where in the world is he getting this? Because that certainly is not a historical position that we would recognize, even though when he says it was Tertullian who's credited with coining the phrase Trinitas, most scholars do agree with that. But when he says, I don't know who it was, why would you put that in a book? I can see where you may have a question off the cuff and not be totally sure of yourself and say something in a conversation. Well, I think it could be, and I could be wrong, but in a book, yeah. why would you do that? Wouldn't you have done your homework before and then not have to say, I don't know who it was? Tomorrow, we're going to continue looking at this book, Mormons Believe What? by Gary C. Lawrence. Hope you'll join us for that broadcast. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.